What's up, everybody? Welcome to Studio Wesley Annex, the audio-visual podcast where we talk about the lectionary texts of the week. I'm your host, Mike Yarrick, and I'm here with some awesome people, three of which are part of the headphone gang, one who's wearing earbuds. I'll let you decide who's which. Uh, Sam, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm here. I'm part of the headphone gang, obviously. Gotta headphone gang. Tess, how are you doing? I am good. I am a newly initiated member of the headphone gang as of this week, but it's going well so far. And Allison. You know what? I was prepared to be like, I'm having a great day. And then I got roasted for using an earbud. The the best part about this is the people that are listening to the podcast version without visuals. Like they literally get the reveal. You outed yeah. yourself to those people, Alice. No, you outed me. I didn't say who it was. I didn't say who it was. But everybody else was talking about headphones. <laughs> you that's, saved that's her for true. last. That's <laughs> incredible. Incredible. Um, we are coming from like all different locations, which is very exciting to me right now. Um, yeah, this is just, I'm just very excited. Sorry, Allison. I didn't mean, <laughs> you didn't see that coming either. I was going to preface it before we started the episode. And I was like, nah, let this be a surprise and a warning to all you earbud people. Just kidding. We we don't discriminate on the auditory devices that we use. All right. This bit's gone on long enough. Tess, do you want to <laughs> open us up in prayer? Absolutely. <laughs> Um, Lord, thank you for bringing us together to this space. I pray that you open our hearts and our minds to hear not only what everyone else is saying, but also what you are saying to us and through us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. One last thing worth mentioning is that we are still in the ordinary times. If you want a more in-depth description on what that looks like, in our first episode, Derek does an awesome breakdown. So go check it out. We'll link in the description. Uh, New Testament text up first with Sam. Sam, you ready? I think so. Yeah. Take it away, sir. So, hi, guys. I'm here doing Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And then do you guys want me to start by just reading it? Yes, uh, you yeah. can read a chunk of it, read the whole thing, whatever you want. Um, if I'm going to read a chunk of it, I'm going to start with the part that I think is the most important, which is starting at chapter or at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not onto your own interest, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who thought, Though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, being found in human form. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I wanted to start with this section because I think there's two key parts of this. The first is verse three. I have it highlighted. It's the most important verse in this. It's really the moral of this story. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourself. Now, Paul is writing right now from prison and is writing to a community that is struggling with what it sh- how it should follow the words of Christ and what it should be doing. And in this section, 
Paul has pointed out the biggest issue. The biggest issue is selfish ambition and conceit. He has named the issue, he has targeted it, and he now calls everyone to move from that. And it's interesting in this, if you go a little bit back, I know I'm not, I'm supposed to stick with my section, but if you go a little bit back in the beginning of Philippians, this is the first time where Paul, instead of calling himself an apostle or a leader, he calls himself a servant. And so he, in doing the action that he calls everyone else to do, stepping down from their highly titles, stepping away from their ambition and their conceit, he lowers himself to that stature. He does exactly what Jesus is doing in this. Jesus starts this as someone who is at the level of God. And then much like Paul and his own title of himself, steps down and becomes one of us so that he can be then raised up. It's a weird back and forth sense. And a lot of contemporaries that I was reading talk about is it how important it is to step yourself down to be on the same level because none of us are at the same level of God. And the part that I really, really want to focus on here, I have lots of lots of notes that all focus around one word that comes up twice, and it's therefore. It's the beginning of verse 9. It's the beginning of verse 12. And I love this switch, specifically the one in number 9. That therefore, from like a literary perspective, if this was a letter like it was when Paul was writing it, is a complete switch of everything. And I, I immediately picked up on that and found it really, really fascinating. Because from as someone who likes speeches and who likes script writing, that feels like the line you would underline and slash and just stop everything. Therefore, everything that he, Paul has said in the beginning about Jesus lowering himself from that godly status to be one of us and making sure that he is serving others before serving his own name or his own title. Therefore, because Jesus has done all that, that is why he is the exalted one. It's not a an and, it's not Jesus did this and he was exalted. It's not then he was exalted. It is because it is directly caused by this. Because Jesus lowered himself to our title and didn't hold himself above everyone else or fall into his own power and might, because he did this, he was exalted by God. Um, one of the commentaries I read talked about Therefore, implying that the last part is necessary result of the proceeding. For everything else in this, that Jesus is the name above everyone else, that Jesus is the one who gets people to bend on bended knee before him, for Jesus to have all that power, it is because of the proceeding. It's because of therefore, everything before it. So I, I really like that therefore. It's a weird literary thing that really got me excited about this chapter. It feels like a weird switch, but when you really look at it, it's, it's pure cause and effect. It's not because Jesus was the son of God. It's because Jesus stepped down, because Jesus was made in flesh, that he was able to do all these things. So that's, that's really what I took from it. And when I looked at a lot of commentaries, they agreed. So sorry for my little rant about therefore and why I love that word. Oh, no, Sam, this is this is awesome. I, I was literally just talking in our last episode, I think, about I had to write this paper in college where we weren't allowed to backspace. We weren't allowed to edit because the professor wanted to see our thought process through the thing and see the literally the mental order of like how our brain goes from one thing to another. And I think you landing on this literary choice is so strong, too, um, especially because I, I, I think it I mean, I would assume that that being as critical as it is would then exist throughout multiple translations. So as we're looking at these texts and being like, oh, well, translations sometimes change the meaning of things like this cause and effect does 
linger and does stay there, which I think, yeah, I think that's awesome. Um, I just also want to point out the fact, well, you mentioned, you mentioned that this is being written from prison and just how on brand is that for um, God to be using, especially in a conversation about humility and a conversation about um, lowering yourself and raising others for that to be written from a place of prison in the same way that God uses every possible way that we could assume or innately think that somebody's lesser than, and then God uses them for his own glory and to pursue these messages of humility and stuff. I just think that's, that's really interesting. I also like the fact, this is one of the things that a lot of commentators talk about is that Paul writing this from prison puts in the other context of, is this Paul's hope for the future? Is him doing, Mm -hmm. laying out this step-by-step cause and effect of lowering yourself and then being exalted on high? Is that Paul trying to find God's word and God's hope in his current situation. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so good. So good. I, Mike, you pretty much took my words. Um, so, but I, I just really want to say Samuel that I really appreciate just that whole literary thing, focusing on the word therefore, like you did, like it almost um, aside from these texts that we're talking about today, it makes me want to pay more attention anytime I'm in the next episode or anytime I'm reading the Bible, it makes me want to pay more attention to that kind of stuff. Just kind of the way you put it and the way you um, conceptualize it. I thought that was really neat. So, And I'm going to echo what everybody has already said. My mom is an English teacher. So like any sort of literary things I love. Um, but I also, yeah, I mean, all that you said about like, this is the real message of it is just putting others before yourself and taking that step down. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Therefore. Yep. I have nothing else to add. Therefore. It's so so good. Therefore we must move on (laughs) (laughs) moving into the old Testament. uh, Tess, that's yours. You ready? I'm ready. Take it away. All right, so this week I had Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Um, I'm actually not going to read it, and I'm actually not even going to start in the chapter that I was assigned. I'm going to go back to chapter 13 and just kind of read a couple of like pieces that keep popping up because I think they're really important to sort of build a like order of events and a timeline. I lied, it's chapter 14. So... Chapter 14, verse 11, um, this is talking about the Israelites. They're talking to Moses and they said, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So that's chapter 14. And then you go on to the end of chapter 14 verse 31, and it says, and when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So, so far we've got the Israelites are mad and then they trust God once he solves the problem and the parting of the seas and all that. So then chapter 15, verse 24, um, It says, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Moses cries out to the Lord. The Lord gets the water fixed. They drink it. Chapter 16 again. And the 
desert. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. So again, they complain and then the Lord fixes their problem. So now we're at chapter 17. We are now in the fourth chapter where the Israelites once again are quarreling with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? So then Moses goes and cries to the Lord. The Lord tells him to take his staff with which he split the sea and strike the rock. Water will come out of the rocks for people to drink. And that's exactly what happens. So I think it's important to go back a couple chapters and notice that there's this like pattern in the Israelites behavior. Um, and this is the first thing that I noticed from this was repeatedly they have this problem. Instead of trying to fix the problem, they complain about it. They also don't even go to God about it. They go to Moses and complain about it. And then Moses goes to God, God you know, gets them food, gets them water, protects them um, from the Egyptians, like all of these things. And yet in the next chapter, they do it all over again. And so that was kind of my first like time that I read through it and processed it was just, wow, they have no trust that God will come through like he has before. And I think at least in me and kind of my journey with faith is that this is like the hardest thing for me to stay really consistent with is something will happen bad in my life. And then all of a sudden, um, like it makes meaning and I grow from it and it's great. And I'm like, thanks for doing that, God. And then the next time something bad happens, I'm like, what the heck, dude, why'd you do this? And so I think it's a really human um, kind of like journey to go through is just trying to come back to this like idea that God will save you and God will carry you through. Um, but when you're in the thick of it, it doesn't feel like that. Um, so a lot of the commentaries that I read on this passage, that's kind of what they pulled out of it was just the Israelites not wanting to trust God and just wanting to complain and not do anything about it and blah, blah, blah. But then the more I thought about this and I read it again, um, something that kind of stuck out to me was in doing this, had they not expressed, or I guess God only responds to their worries and their fears after they express them to Moses. So not that, you know, I think God's just going to let them die of thirst out in the desert, but it's like, had they not said that, would they have gotten the same, you know, response of here's what you asked for, this is what you need. So I think there's this twofold of, you know, trusting that God has got you and will get you what you need, but also realizing that you need to be able to ask for that. Um, you need to be able to pray and recognize what will carry you through this chapter of life, both to God and also just people around you, like knowing how to voice your needs and to voice your boundaries because people don't know what you need if you don't tell them. So that was just kind of like, the second approach that I had to this passage, the more I read it and the more I considered it was like, 
yes, they're complaining and yes, it's repeated and they have this pattern and this behavior that they're not breaking, but also maybe they need to be voicing those concerns and complaining and maybe that's how things actually get done. So those are my thoughts on it. And I would really love to hear like which of those two y'all kind of identify with. I, I had like, I was fully prepared to respond to something you said. And then that little last bit you just did with, I wrote it down because I was like, I need to know this thing. You just said, people don't know what you need if you don't tell them. And my brain is gone. It like that just, you said it and I was like, oh no, I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. Aside from that, because I just, that was a thing. Aside from that, um, I really liked how you, so you're talking about um, that repetitiveness of like doing this thing, something happens, God coming through, and then the next day doing it all over again. Um, you were saying that and I was like, yeah, I do that all the time. Like I will enough to it where I just, I get stuck in those cycles. You said it too, that you get stuck in those cycles. But then you brought in that like trust aspect and it, I don't know why, but it like, my brain never went there, that that was equated to trust and, and, and tr yeah, see you, that was so good, Tess. You got my brain all like discombobulated, but so I'm just going to leave it there. But that was, that was so good. <laughs> yeah. I, f I feel a little, I feel a little challenged by this too, Tess. Cause I, I think I'm the quickest person that will say like, I don't know. I, this sound, this is going to sound so bad on this podcast, but um, I like, don't, I don't know. Prayer. I'm just like, if God's really all knowing and everything, then why do I have to say it out loud? Like, why do I have to, why do I have to engage in prayer? Like if he, if he just knows what's the point I'm, I'm, I always went around saying you take that God, like instead of voicing my needs or voicing my concerns, I'm just like, ah, you take that God. I don't need to go through the mental power. I'm of right there with that you. <laughs> like oh, that is okay, not good. something that I'm good at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so it's kind it is kind of a, a challenge to be like, yes, that's totally true. God can hear and perceive and understand what's going on in your crazy brain. Right. But he does, he wants you to go through that added step, that added learnedness of articulating it and saying it out loud. Um, which, so that's, that's one thing. The second thing I want to say, which could be totally tangential and incredibly useless, but like I'm relating this to like the real world scenario. Cause you're talking about the humanity of this test and like just the disconnect of faith too, of needing that intermediary of Moses. Like instead of these people feeling like I can say this to God and things will get done. There's like, whether it's, I mean, in the real world scenario of this, where you have a problem with somebody and then you go to somebody else instead, whether it's out of fear or like, you just totally don't think that anything's going to happen if you do say something to that person. So you need to go to somebody else instead and you need that added help. I do think there's, there's a lot of characterization of, how, how these people were feeling and what they were going through um, when we engage through that. And like, you know, the modern day story that we know of, like, I can't confront this person. So I'm going to tell somebody else instead. <laughs> uh, that's all I wanted to throw in there. Well, I also feel like taking the idea from being related to faith to then taking it to real life and then relating it even back to faith. Like my um, experience with the church, like growing up, was when my parents got divorced, we like kind of stopped going to organized church. Um, but then in college, I gave, became really involved in the Wesley Foundation up here. And so it's like now I'm looking back on it as if Moses is the intermediary, like in the same way that church is, like you don't need church to connect with God. Like, does it 
help, sure. But at the same time, you can just have that connection completely outside of any organized space and any like group of people. Um, yeah, just wanted to throw that in there. So then does, does church as the intermediary or Moses as the intermediary become like a representation of the fact that we're like scared that we can't do it on our own? Oh, no. Oh, sorry. I had to say that. <laughs> it feels like heresy <laughs> With to the say special that. effects. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Sam. I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, that was a perfect, that was a perfect ending that like threw me for a loop even. That was really, really good. Um, I'm actually really glad um, I was reading your passage before we started and I'm really glad Tess with everything you said, because this feels like, okay, it's kind of bad to say, but this feels like the the interns versus the people who were like we had the same thought process of like a lot of people read this passage and talk about like every time i've seen it in church it's about israelites complaining and those having to deal with it but no i really like what you said about yeah they're they're talking about what they need and it immediately takes me to like the work of advocacy and what it means to like go out and and speak for your rights and demand the things you need and yeah, a lot of like in an outside view, it can be seen as repetitive and annoying. But in real life, when you're advocating for those things, it doesn't matter how many times you say it until progress is made, until they get the water, you have to keep advocating for yourself. And so I was really hoping you'd say something about that because that I, I that's always what I've read with this. But then the second thing that I always think about with this is the fact that Moses is exasperated. Moses is crying to God. But how amazing is it that we have a God who just does it? And like, no matter, yes, they keep complaining and like what we're talking about with our personal time, no matter how many times we come and do the same cycle again, God does it. God is a God of constant grace who, okay, it may be the thousandth time and Moses may be exasperated, but yes, I'm still going to give you what you need. There's no, there's no like limit to it. That's, I really appreciate that. Well, and even when I was going into like chapters that came before this, I know I kind of focused on the pattern of like the Israelites complaining, but you're so right. Like every time that they complained, Moses would go straight to God say, you know, God, they're annoyed with me. They're threatening to stone me, like all of these things. And it's just immediately cool. Do this. They'll get water. Cool. Do this. They'll get food. And so he like God is just patient with them and he knows exactly what they need. But at the same time, it almost like there's just this question of like, had they not said anything, would he have still provided it, at least in that way? And God's awesome power. I even take it back like uh, to the literary, like the verbiage of it. It's Moses is crying out because he's so tired of this cycle. And God just says it. It's like what you said. God just, OK, here we go. Here's how to do the water. Here's how to help your people. There's no exasperation. Y'all, this I I feel like we could keep talking about th this. Th this is the these are those those moments where you're like, oh, we we have the time limit on the episode, but we want to just keep going. Like I I I want to like egg this conversation on even more because I think there's so much here. Um, but instead of doing that, I think we are gonna take a break instead before we come back for the second half of our episode. So until then. Hi, 
Hello, and welcome to Studio Wesley Cafe. My name is Cindy Buchanan, and I'm your host. What is Studio Wesley Cafe, and what is in that mug, you ask? Both great questions. Well, first and foremost, I'm drinking a coffee with oat milk, because that's my bevel of choice. But more importantly, Studio Wesley Cafe is Studio Wesley's newest creation, where I and special guests am going to be talking about Well, the things you might talk to your friends about over coffee. We'll be talking about music and movies, art, social media, current events. Um, I guess some might say culture. And we're going to be talking about the ways that all those things intersect with our lives as people on a spiritual journey. Does that sound like something you might be interested in listening to? I hope so. Starting September 15th, every other Friday, a new episode will drop. So grab your Bev of choice, whether it be coffee, tea, water, because we all need to stay hydrated, and join us. And we're back. And I just need you guys to know that even on the break, that conversation continued. And uh, if we could, if I had permission for us to do extended episodes, this one would be like three hours long because there's so there's so much, and you know it's good when the conversation continues off camera. That's like that's bomb. Um, okay, we are uh, jumping back in with our Psalms text, Psalms seventy eight with Allison. Allison, are you ready? I am here. I'm ready. Let's do the thing. So ready. Take it away. Yeah. Honestly, though. Tess and Sam are going to be a tough follow-up. That was, those were so good. Um, Yeah. So I have Psalm 78, like Mike said, one through four and then 12 through 16. Um, I have been reading, whenever I do these now, I've been having to read them in like a few different versions of the text just to like, I don't know, to understand it in different ways. Cause sometimes different versions helps me understand like different lines, different verses. Um, so one of the things that, this, my thoughts are coming very around today. I focused more on 12 through 16. And so I'm going to read those um, in particular. So he did miraculous, he did miraculous things in the presence of their ancestors as they made their way out of Egypt through the fields of Zoan. He split the sea and made them pass through it. He made the waters to rise, forming all wa- forming a wall of water. Every day he led them with a cloud, every night with a fiery light. He cracked open rocks in the wilderness and provided them with all the water they needed, as plentiful as the depths of the ocean. He caused streams to burst forth from the rock, waters to rush in like a river. And so if you read on a little bit, this this psalm in particular is talking about all these things that God is doing. Um, And then that next line, 17, even though it's not technically one of the verses that I'm talking about, says, even after witnessing all of these miracles, they still chose to sin against God. Um, And so... That was the voice, by the way, I think is what the one I just read out of the two. Yep, that was the voice. Um, So he, I obviously like looking at this text, the thing I feel like I'm supposed to be pulling out is that like little piece about sinning, even though it's not like in those verses, but I'm not going to. So I'm going to focus more on those lines to me talk about that like support aspect of like the support that we can find in God. So in times of like desperation and times of, um, those more negative things, you know, hard things are going on, mental health is is dwindling, you're in distress, but also like 
other times, you know, because God isn't just supporting us in those times. God is always present and he's there for all those good things, too. So all those good things that are happening, those major events, you're graduating college, you know, you're moving out on your own, you're doing all the things. Um, I, looking at this text, pulled out that support um, because I think it's important to talk about, like, I think if we don't focus on this, like God supporting us in our everyday lives on everything that we're doing, all the positive things, I think it's really hard to remember that he's also there supporting us in the bad times. Um, And so even though in theory, I feel like I should be focusing on that sin piece of this, you know, people sinning um, even after God is doing all of this stuff, I think it's more important to sit down and talk about like that mental health aspect of like focusing on the support system that we have and how God is part of our support system. So I also want everyone to know that it took everything in me not to relate this to Taylor Swift just now. And I kept that part in my head. So that is it. I'm totally going to ask you to say the Taylor Swift thing, whether it's on air or off later. Yeah, we, um, we kind of need that now, Allison. If you can I think just... you should. I have to find the verse in order to do that because I told myself I couldn't do it. And so I didn't write the verse down. And so now I just shouldn't have mentioned it because now the, I have to look for the verse. The voice in your head that's saying you couldn't do it is um, back when Derek hosted the show. Now that I'm hosting the show, the voice says, please, Allison, please do the Taylor okay, Swift. So- so in the voice version, it talks about, um, I don't remember which verse it is, but there's a verse where it's talking about like telling your children about God and of the things he's done. And so like my brain, when I first read this, the first time went to that line in long live where she's like, if you have children someday, please tell them my name. <laughs> and so then all of a sudden my brain went down this like spiral of like equating Taylor Swift to God. And I was like, no, I can't say that. I got to keep that one to my head. As soon as you started, I was like, oh, she's going long live. She's going to long live. <laughs> God, that's it. <laughs> the the red flag for you was don't equate Taylor Swift to God. Don't equate Taylor Swift to God. Yeah, it wasn't. That's- it wasn't just bringing up Taylor Swift. It was that part that my brain was like, you cannot do this in an episode of Annex. <laughs> <Ellison." laughs> um, this this is gonna stay in the episode. I hope you know that this is, this is incredible. That could be a whole episode in itself. There's a lot of metaphors there. Have you, see, have you seen those um those shows that are like um is it's like a game show. And it's like. Is this is this a Taylor Swift lyric or something Shakespeare wrote? So now it's like it's like does this embody God or Taylor Swift? You decide. <laughs> Lord, okay. Um, it's the new Studio Wesley game show. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and and we put Derek on it. Derek has to answer whether this is like from God or from Taylor Swift. If he got even one wrong. He would never, ne- we would never let him live it down. Okay. Um, sorry. Sorry, Allison, for letting us get derailed here. Uh, Tess, I'm going to go ahead and let you respond to Allison's, what, Taylor Swift or not, you know. We'll, we'll see where it goes. Um, Allison, I'm the same way. I was like, I had something I was going to say, and now all I can think is Taylor Swift. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. So I, I do feel like I'm not alone in this, but definitely in the minority in thinking this way. But I almost feel like I turn to God more in the bad times than I do in the good times. And so I thought it was really interesting that you said, you know, like this is reminding us to find him when times get hard. And as you said that, I'm thinking that's like really, especially when I wasn't attending church regularly and like, really thinking about it intentionally on a weekly basis. It was like, that's when I used like found him really was in those times where 
I felt helpless or like didn't have someone else to turn to. And we even talked about this a little bit earlier, like the feeling of, oh, I can't go to them. So I'm going to go to this other person. And so, yeah, I just, and you're not the only one. Like I've heard other people talk about this too. And I've always kind of had this feeling of like, am I the only one who does this? And I know I'm not, but it was just, yeah. I mean, it's a reminder that whether you're in a good season or a bad season and life really is just seasons and it's constantly changing. Um, they like, God is still there and that he is available to listen to you and whatever you're going through. I was going to share a very similar thing to Tess um, when I first looked at your passage. Cause I was like, it's a Psalm. I, I know how this works. And that's where my brain was thinking. And then halfway through you talked about, graduating from school and leaving home and I as a a one month freshman um the farthest I've ever been away I, I moved from Florida all the way to Washington DC in a completely new space with no one that I know and it kind of like took me and I had to like sit and process what you just said and be like okay I see this in a completely different way now because it's that's a very real thing to especially leaving that support system and like to have this text and to have that basis of faith that even though there may not be a support system yet, you still always have that, that faith based one. You still have God behind you. Um, yeah. Completely different direction than I was going to take it, but Oh, Oh, hit a little chord there. Yeah. I think this conversation about, about, whether or not God exists when things are hard is, is a, a, an important one because I think I've always had like just growing up in the church and stuff, you know, I have, I have the understanding that God is always there, but there is still something about that, like absence of voice and the absence of a physical presence that, that although, you know, God is there it, in the hard times, it gets harder for me anyways, because you feel like that voice is not present or that, that there isn't a physical presence there to comfort you. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, I'm just thinking, sorry, this is maybe a little bit tangential, but I'm thinking in terms of like the, the different practices that we can go to help make God be more present in those moments, present in a way that like bridges that gap of knowing that, Oh, my, my physical support system is gone. So how can I replace that with an entity that, for all intents and purposes, I don't feel tangibly, you know, um, sorry, this is very tangential, but this is where my brain, my brain goes. Um, okay. That being said, I'm going to hop back on the train tracks here and, talk and, and move us into our gospel text of Matthew, which, uh, this is where I'm like, Hey Mike, are you ready? Yes, I am. Take it away. Okay, here we go. Um, okay, so my text is Matthew 21, verses 23 through 32. I have become the parable guy um, because all of season three is Mike doing parables. Tangential is my word. The Allison just called me out in our chat for saying tangential a thousand times. Listen, it's got to be something. I can't please Allison. It's fine. She's not part of head headphone gang, so it doesn't matter. Anyways, um, okay, so uh, let me <laughs> okay, let me break this this text down real quick. So, um, one of the things that uh, was brought up over break that we kind of talked about real quick is um, so Sam was saying that God just does the thing, God just does it, um, and then I was like, well, I feel like Jesus 
makes a story or a lesson out of everything. So maybe that's like the humanity difference between God and Jesus is Jesus turns everything into a story. God just does it because he's all powerful. This is again, total, total tangential conversation. Um, so the story that I have in Matthew, Jesus is working in the temple. He's teaching, he's healing, restoring, doing all the things that Jesus would do. And the leader, the leaders, the chiefs, the priests, they come in and they say, so like, uh, by whose authority are you doing all this? And Jesus is like, uh, well, since I'm the one in the temple, you answer my question first. And they're okay. So John the Baptist was cleaning people's feet and doing all these things. By whose authority did he do that? And they're like, oh, uh, let's take a break real quick. And then, I don't know, in my head, they do like this little powwow. You know, they like step away Jesus in the background. He's staying there watching them and they're like huddled in a circle. And they're like, okay, listen. So if we say that he did it by his own authority, we're going to piss off all the people that we need to be our followers. If we say that he did it by God's authority, then Jesus is going to call us out for not joining in the party. So we can't say either of those things. So they go back and they played the fifth. They're like, we don't, I don't know. We have no idea. Which, um, this inability to um, admit their wrongdoings then launches. It could have ended there. That's totally where it could have ended. Jesus had the upper hand. Instead, he decides to tell a parable because as Jesus does, and the parable is father of two sons asks them both to go off and work. One son says, no, not going to do that. Ends up doing the work anyways. The other son says, sure, I'm going to do that. And then doesn't. And Jesus um, asks them, which, which son did, did what the father asked. And they agree it's the son who says no at first, but then decides to go and do the work versus the son who says that they would and then doesn't. And, and this agreement is kind of the, the unspoken um, connection between them. So they're literally pointing to the fact that they represent the other son, right? They represent the son who says that they support a thing, but then ultimately doesn't because in the John the Baptist instance, they do nothing in support of that. Um, and that solidifies their stance. It's basically, I mean, to me, it's this whole, this whole parable and story of action speak louder than words, right? Jesus is currently acting in good faith in the temple, teaching, restoring, doing all the things. That's the good act, right? It, it's the act of doing the actions of doing versus the son who says that they will, but don't, doesn't do anything. Um, all the power, Last in the fact that we're actually going and doing the thing. Um, so I think this parable brings into question, which, which son are we? Are we the one who um, is willing to change our mind? So we say no at first, but we're willing to change our mind, change our ways, and live for the glory of God, doing the actionable things that God calls us to do, like loving others, um, seeking justice, um, working in the sort of liberative sense, or are we the son that says that we will follow Jesus's teachings, but ult ultimately don't have any of the actions that support the thing that we're saying? Um, and then in a side note that I want to kind of touch on, I also wonder if if Jesus God is calling out the neutral party here, the like, we don't pick a side, because that is where these these uh, spiritual leaders at the top of the story, where they're kind of living in regards to the John the Baptist thing. Like, we don't want to say that, you know, he's doing it by God. We don't want to say this other way because we don't want to piss off the people that um, we need to follow us. So they they kind of pick this neutral party. And I wonder if that's part of Jesus's call to action also is um, this warning against the neutral party and 
it's an ask and kind of a declarative statement saying that part of our faith journey does need to be in the doing. Um, we talk about like thinking, uh, let's see, thinking, saying, doing, um, uh, and feeling in re- in regards to our relationships with Jesus. This is God maybe saying like, hey, the doing is just as important. It's not enough to just say the right thing, think the right thing, feel the right thing. Like you have to do the thing at the same time. It's a call to action. So that's where I'll kind of end this. Love to hear you guys' thoughts. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> this is so weird, but I keep like I brought it up in our intern meeting this past week and I like this verse just means a lot to me. I literally have it up on my wall in my bedroom. Um, but everything you were saying, Michael, about like actions speak louder than words. Um, my like all time favorite verse is Proverbs twenty seven nineteen, And it says, as water reflects the face, so once life reflects the heart. And like, that's really how I try to lead my life is like, it doesn't say so once words reflect the heart. It doesn't say so once thoughts reflect the heart. It's like actually how you live out your life and what you're doing and the people you associate yourself with and the things that you do with your time. Like that's really who shows who you are and what you care about. Um, So that was one piece of it is that I just had to share that. That's like my favorite verse of all time. And it keeps like it just always shows up in my life and continues to reinforce its importance. Um, And then the other thing was, as I was like reading along with the verse, um, in verse 31, at least in my translation, it says, Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. And like goes on to talk about why they're doing this because they believe, but I was like, wow, that's, and not even in our time, but like in their time, that is some really offensive, um, like that's a really offensive statement. And coming back to, you know, my experience with not um, really having like a church um, environment for most of my childhood. And there was always this idea. And like my mom and I have had conversations about this of like people who are in the church who are supposed to be like followers of God are sometimes less godly than people who don't follow religion, um, but are more like Jesus than those who say they do, if that makes any sense. But that like, it's not just about how you practice, you know, reading your Bible and praying, but it's that like treating other people. Like how do you treat the people around you? Yeah, I had, um, I have a few thoughts. One of them was similar to kind of what Tess was saying at the end there, but I appreciated how you split it up um, into this versus this and like simple terms of like, these are the things we say we're going to do. And then there's like the do them or don't do them after you've said them. And I really appreciated the way you, because conceptually it's easier to see it. This the, with just how you, your storytelling, first of all, is just so funny. And it, it kind of like makes things makes more sense sometimes to me when you do it. Um, and so like on first thought, I'm like, which category do I fall into? I start thinking about it. And then I'm like, well, this category sometimes irks me a little bit. And then I'm like, but also like, are they doing other things? Um, and it just, I don't know, brings me, I don't know if any of what I'm saying is making sense right now, but it brings me over to like kind of what Tess was saying at the end there too, of like, there are other ways, um, to engage and other things they could be doing. And I don't know, I just really appreciated the way you broke that down, I guess is where I'm going with this. (laughs) 
I don't know if there's a solid thought there. I I was really taken aback by the first thing you talked, or the last thing you talked about when you talked about the silent party and the group that stays quiet. And um, Tess had the beautiful Bible quote that really summed it up. I'm taking it a whole different way because, man, I got my quotes and none of them were from the Bible. But um, the Broadway production of To Kill a Mockingbird is like my favorite piece of media ever. Um, Aaron Sorkin, yeah, I, I could talk about that for a whole podcast. But there's a quote in it where they talk about the concept of in a courtroom when they call you all to rise and saying that that means something more and calling us all to rise to something bigger than ourselves and to make the choice to stand up. And the quote, it's a whole monologue, but the quote that it immediately sparked in my mind is they are talking about calling us all to rise, ordinary people with dirt on their hands who had, if only for a moment, been clothed in enormous power. And like, that's the thing I think that these people that Jesus is talking to are missing is that like, they, they're like, we, we are going to stay back. We, we no comment from the press at this time. And a lot of times that's what we see in places of power is you can step back and not take either of the fire. But I think especially from a religious perspective, it is our job, it is our duty almost to stand up, even as ordinary people, to stand up for what's right, to rise ourselves to, quoting To Kill a Mockingbird again, to raise ourselves to the level of an equal and just God and to assume his work. It's that idea of like, it is our job as people who believe in a higher power to stand up and speak for others to show that on earth. That's where I want to end the episode. That's where I want to end the episode. It's so good. Oh God, y'all, we can't, I, these episodes aren't long enough. They're just not long enough. Um, I don't even want to go anywhere else into that. I'm just going to ask Sam to close us in prayer real quick because that's beautiful. I just quoted the, my favorite writer of all time, and now I have to make up my own words. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's a tough ask. Yeah. It really is. Dear God, thank you for words. Thank you for perspectives. Thank you for giving us something that we can wrestle with and talk about to be able to better see your light. And thank you for giving us something that doesn't have answers that we can all bring our own perspectives to and maybe bring to mind our own opinions to the table to try to figure out how you work better. Thank you for being in our lives. And with that, that's all I got. Amen. Amen. So quick, quick poll from the group. If I put a tangential counter on this episode, what number do you think we'll reach? feel like you're over 10 at this point. I'm going like 12. 12. I was going to say 13. 13? I'll go back a little. I'll say 8. That's that's the price is right answer right there. Mm-hmm. Alright, I'm going to go with 1. Closest <laughs> without going over um, wins. <laughs> I know it's not 1. Uh, that's, I'll, I'll price is right. I'll throw 1 in there. Uh, okay, this has been Studio Wesley Annex. Sam, Tess, Allison, thank you so much for... Um, this has been a blast. This episode has truly been so much fun. And I appreciate all of you and everything you've had to say. Um, so yeah, until next time, y'all. Studio Wesley Annex. Later. Bye, guys.